0: You've heard non-stop about quarterbacks, and there's no shortage of attention for running backs, tight ends, or receivers. But what about the position that fills almost half the offense? It's time we shift the spotlight to the group that makes the O show go. It's time to talk offensive line. I'm Nick Kelly, and this is ineligible receivers. <laughs> Welcome to the inaugural episode of Ineligible Receivers, a place where we'll be talking all things offensive line each and every show. We'll talk technique, we'll talk stories, everything offensive line. And my hope is that each episode together, we will learn more about the position in football that really is not talked about all that often. And to do that, I'm going to bring offensive linemen and coaches from preps to college to the NFL as guests each and every week. As for my first guest, I was very glad to be joined by Kevin Pendleton. He's a former three-year starter in the SEC, where he played guard for Missouri from 2016 to 2018. And he's now a recruiting specialist for the Tigers. And he and I talked about everything from his time with the Tigers to a pancake block in high school that led to a broken leg. And we even talked about a fish. And I think I speak for anyone who covered Missouri during Kevin's time there when I say that he was one of the most fun people to talk with around the program at Missouri. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Kevin Pendleton. I'm joined now by Kevin Pendleton, former Missouri offensive lineman. Kevin, thanks for joining me today.
1: Hey, no problem, man. It's, it's a pleasure, man
0: but I really want to go back to just to start off for you as an offensive lineman uh when did you when did you get into o-line when did you start playing up front
1: so I've I've been blessed and cursed to always be one of the larger humans in every room that I've been in since a, a young child so you know I grew up watching from Kansas City seeing you know priest Holmes and those guys and running back for the Chiefs you know especially 2003 so I want to be a running back and then, you know, I was in in fresh going into freshman year of high school. I was six to, you know, almost 300 pounds. So it was like I was I was destined to be a, a big guy, but um, I've been playing football, tackle football since I was third or fourth grade um, and flag football since I was probably four or five. So I was always usually blocking people. Um, but it's, it's just, it's in my, it's in my blood. My dad's six two, three hundred 300 some pounds. So we're, we're, we're just big humans. So, (laughs)
0: well, so did you ever get a chance to carry the ball in those flag football days or or catch a pass one year,
1: one year. Okay. And then I was always over the, the weight, the ball holding weight threshold. So I was always one of those kids that had to get weighed in every weekend to see if I could hold the ball. And of course I was completely over it. So there was not a chance, but, I remember there was one year um, I fell on a fumble. I didn't fall. I picked it up, but they stopped the play because I didn't have a sticker on my helmet. It's, it's just the life I, I, I lived. So,
0: yeah, I think uh, in Minnesota we called or they, they gave a piece of tape. <laughs> it was like a red tape, and it was just uh, the designation was line captain was the, was the was the way <laughs> those were separated. But and yeah, they so nice to you <laughs> Yeah. So as far as uh, when you are on the line, you know, getting all these experiences and as a young kid, you know, a pancake block is such a, you know, proud moment for most linemen. Do you remember your first pancake block that you had growing up?
1: Um, not specifically. I do remember it. It's actually kind of traumatic. Um, freshman year of high school, we were doing a combo drill and you know, I was new to the school. Didn't know any of the kids. It was the first week we had just put pads on. Um, And me and another guy double teamed this kid. And I was larger than both of them combined. But we knocked the kid down and we both fall on top of him. Actually breaks his leg. And so, yeah. So that was a bad start to high school football for me. Um, So I'll, I'll always remember that pancake block, unfortunately. (laughs) um and he he recovered you know he came back and everything was okay but you know that but yeah like you said pancake blocks are are kind of what you live for now I know how to not fall on top of them after after you know how to fall on them you know um but it's it's like they don't call it the house of pancakes when you do stuff good for for no reason you know like that's kind of that's our job you know not people on the ground so
0: Definitely. But there is like somewhat of an art to falling enough on them so that you pancake them, but also not like laying on them, so to speak. Right. I mean, how do you approach that?
1: It's an, it's an athletic way to fall basically. Um, <laughs> you know, for now it's, it's funny in the recruiting role. Like I look at kids and offensive linemen and, and, you know, you can actually tell a lot from a pancake block, not just, you know, if they're able to do it, but you know, are they an athlete? Like if they knock somebody down, do they automatically fall down too? like those type of things and, um, so it, it's funny, you don't always just want to land on top of the guy, um, but you definitely want to knock a little air out of him. you know, hear that, hear that air come out of him when you land on him and, and knock him down. It's kind of a, it makes you want to do it again. And it's a kind of that satisfaction level in a, in a weird way, but that's, Hey, we don't get to touch the ball. So we got to figure out some way to have fun during the game. So
0: Yeah. Well, and as far as, you know, getting up and underneath their pads, how did you ever, when you were on the interior of the line? What's kind of your hand placement? What's your approach to making sure you get that leverage so that, I mean, not always a pancake block, but to make sure that you mm-hmm. either take them out of the play or you put them on the ground?
1: Well, there's, you know, there's a bunch of different ways you can do that. But the, the first key ingredient is your hands, uh, your hand placement, like you said. And a trick that I was taught early, um, actually, like in my college days, um, before I got to college was by Evan Bame, actually, um, who played in my high school. Um, when, but I, I didn't get to go to high school with him. I transferred in right as he left, of course. Um, otherwise, that would have been a fun line to play on. But um, he his, head, his dad was still my head coach in high school those last two years. So he would come back and give tips. Um, and he taught me right on the snap, touch your thumbs to your chest. Because um, then they're coming from the same place every time, every snap. And it, it's an easier way to – kind of train yourself to place your hands and if they're always starting at the same spot it's easier to land in the same spot uh, if that makes sense so that was a trick that he taught me early on um and I, I'd like to think it worked in college you know I, I'd like to think I had decent hand placement for the most part but uh but yeah if you win hands that's that's usually that's that's the first step of of having a good block each play
0: so sure so you're saying basically put on your own chest pad and then By Mm -hmm. doing that, you're going to end up on the same spot on the defender, right?
1: Exactly, yeah. And you kind of want to time it up with your feet, too, um, because you want to – something that coaches say all the time, but you disconnect your hands and your feet, but you want to have them on the same timing. So it's a weird way to think about it, but if you're able to have a rhythmic pace to your blocking and things like that, um, it'll help you um, have balance and body control because you know when you're stepping, you know when you're shooting your hands and stuff like that instead of just always reacting, basically.
0: Sure. Well, and that punch, too, is so important. Um, I'm offensive oh, yeah. line, From what I understand. And mm-hmm. what kind of things did you guys do in college to really practice that, to make sure that not only was that a powerful punch, but it was placed in the right spot?
1: Med balls. So you'd get little med balls. Um, and you'd think, you know, just a 10 or 15-pound med ball isn't that big of a deal. But um, – when it's thrown, thrown at you and you got to punch it back, um, it 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 really helps with having a small area to punch. Because um, when you're playing, especially in the SEC at that level, you don't have a lot of room for error, so your hands have to be on point. You know, where you're throwing them, when you're throwing them, it all has to be timed up and and precise. So whenever you're setting and redirecting and you're having a med ball toss at you or something like that, and you have to pl- poach, punch both hands through that med ball, um, it's a great tech, great way to work that technique. Um, we had, we had boxing gloves at one point and we were literally punch at pads, um, things like that. Um, we'd have a PVC pipe and you'd have to hold it tight, hold your hands tight, um, and have someone pull it, push and pull on the PVC pipe to where they're trying to turn your shoulders and get your hands off the kilter, but you're still fighting it with your core and your balance to oh, have wow. it all synced up. Yeah. There's so many different drills that you can do, um, but it, that there's a reason for that is because it's so important. Like you said, uh, working on that punch and staying balanced in that punch.
0: Yeah, sounds like it. When you mentioned the SEC. You have played against some pretty good competition, but do you have Man. a favorite block going back to all your time as Missouri Tiger from your time uh, that just comes to mind? It could be it could be a pancake, it could be something else. Just what what would you say is your favorite block you might have ever had?
1: Um. One of my more exciting ones was uh, definitely against Wyoming. I had a a cut block on the front side. Cut blocking was never my thing Um, for probably four years. You'd think that it'd be like a fun thing for offensive linemen to try to do. And it was, but guys kind of figured it out. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know what it was. But, you know, my senior year, it might have just been, got, you know, coached up on it or something. Who knows? But, um, yeah. we were running outside zone. My defender slanted inside, slanted away. So I, I immediately got to climb up to the next level. And I don't know if he was, wasn't ready for it or not, or I just threw a great block, but I hit the knees. They flew up, you know, and and I even got to, got talked about, I guess, you know, my, my grandma, she recorded it and sent me the video, which I thought she didn't know how to use video. Every time I'm over there, she's always asking for help. But somehow she managed to take a video and send it to me while I was playing. So, but of the commentators mentioning it, but, but yeah, that's, that was probably a cool one. Um, I've hit so many people and things have gone. There's a million different blocks I could choose, but that's, that's the first one that came to my mind.
0: So. Sure. Well, and the cut block too. I mean, it's such a kind of unnatural thing probably to do. Like, how do you, how do you even approach that?
1: Um, And the, it's funny you say approach approach is the biggest key to having a successful cut block. Uh, you can't just think of it as, ha- like, falling at the knees or, like, just getting in their way. Uh, you're almost tackling someone without wrapping your arms um, was the best way I was I was taught to do it because you literally – you load up and you explode through the top of their kneecaps, uh, their thigh boards, and, and try to lift them, basically, um, and knock their feet out from under them. So it's – there's so much technique that goes into it that you wouldn't think about. And if you do it wrong, you just look silly, like you're just falling on the ground. Um, but when you do it right, you get talked about. So it's fun.
0: Sure. Well, speaking of silly, there's usually plenty of characters on any O-line you find, whether it be college, pro, high school. Absolutely. What are what are maybe the some of the funniest moments you had as an O-lineman? Could be high school, could be college. Uh, that you look yeah. back and say this is just O-linemen kind of doing their thing?
1: Countless. Um, you know, there's every offensive line I've been a part of every year. We always had a meal tradition. We were going somewhere together, doing something, eating together uh, because we're fat kids and we enjoy (laughs) food. So we did it together. And that's the thing about the offensive line um, that's unique to probably any other position in in sports, in my opinion, is that you really have to count on five guys doing – working as one to get something done. Um, And some people say, you know, D-line, there's multiple guys doing that. Um, On defense, one guy can make a play and make everybody look good. If one guy does something wrong on the offensive line during a play, you're going to look bad no matter what. Uh, You could have Adrian Peterson back there running the ball. um, But if you don't block the nose guard and the the center goes the wrong way and the right guard goes the other way, then it's going to get – it's going to be a negative play and all that stuff. So we did anything we could, every O-line I was a part of, to try and build that camaraderie. So we were always together doing goofy stuff because we're goofy personalities. Um, to play this position, you you got to be wired a little bit different. Um, and it, it's it's the same way everywhere I've been, everyone I've talked to, even, you know, recruiting, getting to see how it's done in all the different states across the country. You know, officer linemen are just different people, um, different type of people. Um, but uh, I always remember getting a pet fish, uh, two pet fish, uh, RIP Boneyard and Boneyard 2. Oh, that's right. Uh, they're deeply missed. Um you know those meals that we had at Cheddar's, uh, meals that we had at uh, G and D's Pizzeria. Um, you know the countless meeting times where we're just sitting in there. You know, and Coach Davis has something up on YouTube, and we're laughing at that. Or you know, Trev Trevor Sims puts some goofy show on, or Paul Adams turns on Rick and Morty. You know, there's there's countless different times and, and things that you know I'll always cherish. But uh, definitely getting a pet fish was fun. That was cool.
0: Yeah, in Boneyard, uh, remind me the story again. I remember the fish now. I had totally forgot yeah. about it. So, uh,
1: yeah, so um, yeah. So we were it was me and Alec Ablin and, and Paul Adams. Uh, during fall camp, we were sitting at, having a dinner after practice, after right before meetings, and our one of our graphics and photographers, Caroline Hall, she came up to us and asked if any of us had pets. They were going to do a pet feature um, throughout the season during games. I like, know, but you know, we could get one. And she was like, whatever, guys, like, don't worry about it. It's okay. Like, no, like, we'll get one. And so we had probably 20 minutes, 30 minutes before meetings started, um, the team meeting, like the most important one. So we booked it up to PetSmart up on uh, off stadium and um, 70 Highway. And we we're like, look, we need a pet. And, you know, I, I wanted a snake. I don't know why I want a snake, but. I mentioned a snake. Uh, someone else mentioned a ferret, and we were like, that's too much responsibility. So we are like, <laughs> what, what doesn't die? And the lady was like, well, it's really hard to kill a beta fish. You know, they're, they're individuals. They live on their own. Like, they don't need a lot of interaction. They don't need a ton of food. So we were like, bet. We'll get a beta fish. And got a fish, got it back, got it all set up within 20 minutes. Um, and then uh, went to the team meeting, came out guys walked in we're like what the what thanks a fish doing here and we're like hey we got got, got a team fit uh, a position fish you know it's our fish so we all got to take turns taking care of it so it was
0: cool and what year was that again and then uh
1: 2016 2016 yeah, okay. first, so that that was all of our first year starting alec had a couple starts um but me and paul and tyler howe Alan and um a bunch of those guys it was our it was our first year starting and first year really playing so we we're always looking for ways to, you know, bond deeper and stuff like that and we decided to get a fish.
0: As one does, right. <laughs> exact
1: uh, yeah. You know, you need you need something to come together with, you get a fish. That's what you do.
0: I will keep that noted for the future, but so you, you met <laughs> you met a lot of different O linemen, uh, just whether mm-hmm. it be your teammates now recruits if you had to build the ideal old lineman, what is, what does that old lineman look like? You know, what, what's his size? What is What are his attributes? Like, what would you build? Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely a guy with versatility.
1: You want a guy that's able to play all five positions. That that's the perfect way to say it. Um, and with that, you know, size ranges all over the place nowadays. Uh, everybody thinks, you know, six, eight, six, seven, all this stuff. Um, but there's NFL tackles that are six, two, you know, so really a perfect size, perfect build, probably 6'6", over 300 pounds, that can still bend, still want a guy that can bend and move, um, because this game, that's the way this game is moving to. It's an athletic game. Uh, It's not the road graders that people think of traditionally or just the pure maulers out there. Uh, You definitely got to have that toughness and that idea and mindset, um, but you still got to be able to have a little finesse to your game and stuff like that. So, you know, if it's 6'6", Three fifteen and can bend um, and can run. That's that's a big deal too. Now you look at screen passes. You look at outside zone. Um, you got to be able to do all that uh, and length. Length is the biggest biggest thing that can can turn a, a gig, which you don't you don't just grow or g- gain length or anything like that. But sure. you look at those elite guys and stuff like that. If they're super long, they don't have to be six 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 seven. Uh, they can be 6'3", six, 6'4", six, but super long arms and super long legs, uh, and they can play any of those positions. So.
0: Well, one of the things that's always fascinating, you talk about the athleticism. Like, the O-line, mm-hmm. I think, has one of the toughest jobs in that when you're pass blocking, you almost have to retreat. And you have to retreat going against guys that tend to be pretty fast guys, or, you know, pretty speedy, you know, strong. So what do you do when, when you're – I mean, you're already at a disadvantage by having to back up like that. So, I mean, what's your move, especially if you are beat, what do you do to respond and kind of play that that chess game that you are with pass rushers?
1: Well, I'm biased, of course, but I always say that two of the hardest positions in sports are offensive line and cornerback, uh, because those are two positions that you're playing 90% of the time with the ball behind you. You don't know where the ball is. Um, so you have to learn and re- learn to rely on your technique. Um, those are two of the biggest positions to where if, if you're a solid technical player, uh, you should be fine, uh, whether you have the strength and speed and all that. If you can rely on technique, you'll be all right. Uh, it's the base. You'll you'll be able to survive at least. Um, but, yeah, definitely falling into um, studying tape, knowing your opponent, knowing when things are going to come, uh Playing O-line, you have to be on that. Uh, you can't just rely on, you know, like a receiver, if, if the DB plays great coverage and, or it's a bad ball or something like that, you can just make a play and make something happen. And with O-line play, if you go the wrong way or don't understand that this blitz is coming or you don't set far enough over, you're going to get beat and it's going to look bad, whether it's a negative run or you're getting someone blown up. Um, and really, if, if you have that mindset of you're a protector and you're there for your teammates and you're making sure that you're taking care of them, uh, then you'll, you'll really buy into that and you'll have a deeper understanding to invest into that preparation and invest in your technique. So those, so those things don't happen. Uh, it's, it's one of the most selfless positions in all of, fo- in all of football and all of sports um, because you're doing everything for someone else. And you're always working for someone else, even playing the position. Um, so it's it's a mindset. It's something that you learn to accept. And like I said, offensive the, off the linemen are different people. Um, so we, we typically understand that, and uh, it, that's what drives us and fuels us.
0: you talk about that protector role. I mean, there, there are a few mm-hmm. positions in sports where for example, uh, even in hockey where like a, if uh, someone touches the opposing goalie, the entire team goes after that player, like if it's after the Absolutely. whistle. Whereas if someone mm-hmm. touches your quarterback, the entire offensive line and probably even skill guys come after uh, that defender. Right. So what's kind of behind that mindset? Like if someone hits a quarterback late, like what's behind that mindset of everyone rallying over to basically make sure this guy knows not to do it again?
1: Especially, especially your quarterback. Um, you got to understand, you know, what's going to win you the game. Um, and it's the health of that guy, uh, as well as your skill guys. So you have to learn to take pride in that. Uh, otherwise, you just won't be good at that position. Um, because if you get beat, you know, if, if a receiver drops a ball, he feels like, you know, he's letting the team down, stuff like that. But he didn't get anybody hurt. He didn't get anybody, put anybody's career in jeopardy, you know, things like that. Um, a running back fumbles. Um, a DB misses a tackle, you know, you're not getting – you're not putting someone's health in danger. At offensive line, if you whiff on a block and you have a 315-pound nose guard coming to smack your quarterback or smack your running back, they can hurt somebody. Um, so, if when you build that mindset of you're the protector, you're, you're the baseline of the offense, you set the tone, then it's – your play just takes a whole nother level. Um, like I'll I'll never forget my first career start against West Virginia in 2016. Uh, we were on the goal line, like the five yard line, and there was a miscommunication between the some between someone from the center to the right side over, um, and we one of them slid the wrong way, and Drew got lit up, and Drew kind of laid there for a second, and that was the first time while I was in the game that he had got hit. And it wasn't a sack, it wasn't a negative play, like he got the ball off, we were good. But watching him lay off the ground and helping him pick up, pick him up off the ground, it hurt me inside um, because I knew one of us made that happen. Um, and until you have that mindset for your quarterback and for your skill guys, um, it's just not the position for you.
0: So. Well, you mentioned uh, quarterback. Your, your quarterback, Drew Locke, in college, you now with yep. the Broncos, of course. But any any quarterback who's smart and knows to take care of his old lineman. Uh, in what oh, ways did did uh, Drew make sure to take care of you guys in college?
1: Spend time with us. You know, he was never the the too cool the too cool guy. You know, um, he would always uh, go out to eat with us. He would always you know communicate with us at practice, um, communicate with us outside the outside the uh, practice, outside the um, realms of football. You know, it was it was always building relationship. Um, and it helped because, you know, we're two Lee's Summit guys, two KC guys. Um, so we kind of knew each other's background and already had that established, you know, chemistry or whatnot. Um, but just the the sense that he took with everybody. Um, he cared about us and, you know, we cared about him and, and it showed on the field. You know, we gave up some of the least amount of sacks uh, in my three-year starting than most teams in the country did in that three-year span. So um, it's a testament to that relationship that we had with each other. Um, And, of course, we worked our tails off, and, you know, we we did our job right. You know, our coaches were great. Um, But we took it it a step further and had that that personal responsibility for each other.
0: That certainly makes a difference. Now, Kevin, before I let you go, this podcast is called Ineligible Mm -hmm. Receivers. And so I have to ask you. And I love
1: that. I absolutely love it. That's hilarious.
0: (laughs) Well, much appreciated. So, Lyman hands is certainly a phrase, and it can be much of a phenomenon. (laughs) Do you have yeah. lineman hands, and if so, or if you don't think you do, prove how you mm-hmm. don't have lineman hands.
1: So, I'll just say this: so every every summer of my career at Mizzou, we did a fat man seven on seven. All right. So at one point, coach was like, "All right, it's your guys' day to do fat man." So we were draft teams, do all that, and uh, out of five years of playing that, I was three time MVP. So. I'll let, I'll let you and your listeners be the judge of that. Um, You know, I I always trusted my hands and, and believe the world in him. And, you know, if, if there ever was a lineman throwback, like you saw Pittsburgh do a few times, you saw a bunch of other schools throughout the country do that, you know, which I tried to get in Josh Heupel's ear, tried to get in Derek Dooley's ear. You know, we tried to, we tried to make it happen, but it was always an argument between me and Paul, who was going to get it. Um, But, that's the only reason that didn't happen. We were def- There were definitely capable hands around. I'll just say that.
0: So. Very nice. Well, Kevin, okay. uh, much appreciate the time. And now mm-hmm. if people want to, they can, sh- you have your own show right now as well. Uh, hot seat, <laughs> cold tub that people can check out. Where can they find that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we're in the middle. It's a weird camp because school's already started and stuff like that, but you know, Mizzou football, we're still doing our camp. So we're trying to give, people inside look on Mizzou is called inside the new zoo. Um, and my segment specifically is hot seat cold tub where we get guys in the cold tub and we ask them the questions that people want to know, um, you know, it's a fun time. It's a chance for our fans to get to know those players. And, and really just get a look on, you know, how we relax and how we, how we kind of interact with each other and, and what they do on a daily basis. So um, it's a great chance. Any, any, any platform where you find Mizzou football content, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, we'll be on there, you know, so go check it out.
0: Well, certainly brave you to want to sit and interview someone in a cold tub. I much much prefer sitting in just a chair right now to that, but I I admire the bravery by sitting in that cold tub. It's –
1: yeah, I – I I guess I got it because I was the most recent one to get in the cold tub out of the recruiting department and out of the staff. But you know, hey, you know, I'll I'll take it. Whatever, whatever we need to do to to showcase the program I love and you know I I go to work for every day. So,
0: very nice. Well, Kevin Pendleton, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate you. My thanks to Kevin Pendleton for his time and insight. And thank you for listening to the inaugural episode of Ineligible Receivers. More will be in the works soon. But for now, you can follow the show on Twitter at OLinePod, and there will be updates, and each show will be posted there as well. That'll do it for this episode of Ineligible Receivers. I'm Nick Kelly. Until next time.